Hey, well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Ron Story Jr. is on with us. And hey, look, to my listeners, I'm no mystery, but you kind of are. Um, so we're going to tell our listeners a little bit about Ron. Uh, he's joining us from St. Louis, Missouri, my old stomping grounds. I lived there until I was seven years old. Then I moved to Southern California. But I always enjoyed St. Louis and the arches and playing in the snow and all the cool stuff. So, Ron, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. At least it's not snowing today. No, it's not snowing. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm originally from St. Louis, but I'm currently in Medellin, Colombia. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I think you told me that when we did the pre-interview, but he is originally from, uh, uh, from uh, St. Louis, but he's in Medellin. Well, I'm going to let them know that your location is in Medellin today. And Ron's been a full-time entrepreneur for 20 years, and he's been instrumental in the creation development of leadership uh, of over 30 companies. He went from a struggling insurance salesman to become a self-made entrepreneur and now living, as he said, in Medellin, Colombia. Um, he's the founder of a software company called PitchDB, which we're going to talk about on the show, uh, the world's largest podcast search engine with nearly 3 million hosts. Um, he saves hours of digging for podcasts and contact details in just a few clicks if you actually subscribe to this. And obviously, for my listeners out there who broaden their reach, this is a perfectly great podcast for you to listen to to actually learn how to do that um, with his software. He's also the author of a book titled The First Hundred Miles, which when you go to his website, unique little approach, you'll get it for free. You don't have to go to Amazon to pick it up. Ron will give it to you for free. And uh, it's it's basically, you'll just go to the website and then the backslash will be book. Uh, and we'll put that in our blog. Um, in which he challenges business owners to recognize the opportunities in front of them and offers practical ways to grow faster. He is a starter and a fixer at heart who's learned many valuable lessons as an entrepreneur over the past two decades. As he said, he was born in East St. Louis. Uh, he first started his business as a kid collecting recycled aluminum cans. I did that myself. Uh, <laughs> and then he could buy toys that he wanted. He... Uh, that drive to solve problem continues today, just on a larger scale. Uh, he's de defied the odds and created a life that could only dream about as a kid. Well, Ron, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for taking a few minutes to speak to the listeners of Inside Personal Growth about this crazy spirit that you've got as an entrepreneur and somebody who's been out there for years. And in your book, um, you know, you talk about the first hundred miles and you say in the subtitle circled in red, how to close more sales by becoming locally famous. And then you tell some stories in the book um, that I think are really cool. And I think what's important is that people understand this hundred mile concept. So why'd you write the book? What do you think people are going to get out of this book? And then we're going to go into the myth busters. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that that's a good question. I think now with social media and everything, we can reach out and be in contact with people all over the world. Like I'm in Medellin right now, and we're several thousands of miles away from each other. But yeah. We can still have a, a very intimate conversation. 
sometimes we forget the people that we could reach and impact face to face right in our own cities and in our own towns. So the first hundred miles wasn't about being internationally famous, being a little fish in a huge pond, but it was more about how do I become a big fish in a pond that I can really control and master that would respect me as the hometown guy who's really good at what he does. So instead of having to go to LA to find a guy to talk about this, you could just talk to me locally. I'm the master here in this domain. So that's what the hundred first hundred miles was about, was reminding people that don't forget about your local audience that will respect you, that you can press the flesh with. You can meet them actually for lunch and have a great conversation with them and make a great you, impact. You have a great story in there about Tim Grover, you know, basketball coach. And you also talk about Michael Jordan and you talk about Chicago. Uh, if you would kind of tell that story, because that's the introduction to this uh, book. And it also, you say that I believe that if you can position yourself to be the go-to authority to solve one particular problem in your market place within a hundred mile radius or home, you can double your income within the next 12 months. Uh, yeah, so that's a pretty compelling statement. The go-to yeah, guy. I'll explain to you why. Because now everybody wants to say that they know everything. But we know that that's not true. Chat, GPT, Google, they're smarter than us on everything. Mm -hmm. But they may not have all the intricate, nuanced details that we have on one thing, right? So there are a lot of people with podcasts, but there aren't a lot of people that have 3 million podcasts. So because I have access to so many, my experience with podcasting is totally different than most people. So when we think of someone like Tim Grover, most people don't know who Tim Grover is. No, right? they don't. But if you played in the NBA and you said the name Tim Grover, especially prior to five years ago when he started writing books, only NBA players knew who Tim, who Tim Grover was. And everybody loved him because they, they could say, I was coached by the guy who trained Michael Jordan. Right. So he didn't care about being famous to the world as long as he was famous to Michael Jordan. Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, and the top NBA champions, because that's what he had a he had a reputation for training them and getting shooting guards battle tested. Right. So if you were an NBA shooting guard and you aspired to be Michael Jordan, you probably wanted Tim Grover. Who cares if the rest of the world knew him? The best in the world knew him at what he did. They knew that he was the best at what he did. So. Is there a space that you as an individual can occupy? I like to say most people look for a niche market instead of seeing themselves as the niche market. Yeah. I'm my niche, mm -hmm. right? If I just focus on me and what I like to do and share people what I'm learning and how I do it, people will be attracted to me and my methods, right? So that's what Tim Grover was doing. He wasn't the first person that was training basketball people. Right, 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 right. But he became known as the champion maker. Well, he that made, becoming that becoming known, Ron, is really kind of the issue, and that's what you're helping people do with the DB podcast is having them become more known. But let's let's dig a little bit deeper into this this book because you know we all have these memes we run around with about ourselves, and we talk about ourselves. And the, you, you, we're going to call them myths in this case. 
And in this case, you talk about five different myths that we run about round. And I guarantee you that everybody out, out there at some point, if they don't right now, has had this mindset about themselves. And the myth number one is to be an expert, you need to call yourself an expert. Um, that's your myth number one, right? Um, your myth number two that you talk about is basically uh, experts know everything about the topic. Your myth number three is experts are the very best at what they do. Uh, and you cited Richard Simmons. And it takes years to build up credibility and authority number four, which we know is not true. Um and then myth number five is I'm not ready to be seen as an authority. So in other words, these are all things that are in the subconscious that we're telling ourselves, which we know are not true about ourselves, yet at the same time, we've believed them enough. And so we don't venture out and make a change. How are we going to make that change, Ron? Well, so when I think about these myths, it's usually not that we don't know the myth, is that we don't know the solution to the myth. That's correct. Right? Yep. So a lot of times we need to, someone needs to show us the other side of that coin, right? So if mm -hmm. we look at the first one, um, to be an expert, you need to call yourself an expert. It's actually the opposite. The minute you call yourself an expert, I don't trust you. Because I'm like, dude, come on, man. Of course, you have a, it's in your best interest to call yourself the expert. So I don't even believe that, right? But if I just go out and do what I need to do and I help my clients and if I do it well enough, they'll call me the expert at it, right? And one great example is my mom. My mom has an iPhone, right? She thinks that I am a tech genius because I know how to use an iPhone. No, I'm just an expert to her because she's 75, right? right? But in reality, I'm not a tech expert at all, right? But in her mind, because I was able to solve all of her iPhone problems, she calls me a tech wizard to her friends. So right. I get all the phone calls. Hey, can you help Deborah fix her iPhone? <laughs> hey, Betty had this question. She asked me. I told her she can text you. I never uh, called myself the iPhone expert. I just did. I just solved the problem. And now I'm in the iPhone genius bar for my mom and her friends. Yeah. <laughs> Not the place you really want to be, but <laughs> I do know. I do know that because people do the same thing with me and I've worked around technology so long. So when a question pops up around whatever it might be, I don't ever call myself the expert about anything. What I do tell you is that I'm a problem solver. Just like you say, as soon as you become a good problem solver, you you basically are good at what you do. And I can't tell you how many YouTube videos I've watched to learn how to solve various different problems. But all those guys up on YouTube, uh, they're not calling themselves experts. They're giving away their information for free to people like me so I can help other people, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that takes us into, into myth number two, which is experts know everything about their topics. No, we don't. We know a little, we know a lot about a little bit of the topic, right? So right. if you go on YouTube, you can type in podcasting on YouTube. You're going to get 18 million videos with 18 million different directions. You can go with podcasting, how to monetize all these different things. But the person who's usually talking is giving their personal experience with their method, right? right. So I, I'm not a master of everything, but I'm a master of mine. I'm a master of the way that I do things. So I don't try to give out theory. I just show people what I'm already doing and say, hey, I can help you just follow down the same track. 
because I've mastered mine. I haven't mastered everything, but I've mastered my method. So you don't need to know everything to be respected or trusted as a person that can deliver on what you promise. And I think it's important you say respected or trusted versus an expert. And like you said, you'd veer away if somebody told you were an expert. Um, you, your myth number three are experts are very best at what they do. And I would say that that is a myth. We're, we're not the best, right? We've learned how to do something maybe one way, two different ways. We've we get it, but we don't claim to be the endless bottom of the solution problem solver guy, right? You know, exactly. Right. When I was a financial advisor, we used to always say, hey, look, your goal isn't to get 100% returns in the market and to build the best portfolio. The goal is to take the worst thing that a client is doing and replace it with something better. And then you meet with them again in six months and you take the worst thing that they're doing at that time and you do something better. And over a 20 year period, you've built a successful client that's minimized their losses and almost maximized their returns. Yeah. Right? They'll, they'll, they'll never get a perfect portfolio. So, you know, if we think of Richard Simmons, right? Yeah. Richard Simmons is the best example of this. He didn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger's body. Right. But his audience didn't want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. His audience was stay at home moms that were at home at two in the afternoon that loved oldie music and wanted to do the bop and the snake and these goofy dances. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't want to look at Jane Fonda because Jane Fonda was too perfectly manicured. And they're like, look, I'm a bit chubby. Jane Fonda makes me feel insecure. Let me listen to this flamboyant guy who's out of shape also. For a man, yeah, and I can take instruction from him and be comfortable because he doesn't even have on the he has on a cutoff shirt and he's <laughs> all he makes me feel good about myself. Yeah, that was his audience, right? Right. So you know, is he the best overall as far as body? Not even close. <laughs> he was the best for his audience, though. He was right. the best person to help. Your audience. So it's but I think he knew who he was appealing to. And I think that's a big factor here is, you know, when I do pre-interviews, I tell people may not be the right show for you. I want it to be a match that you're reaching the kind of people that you would like to reach. Know who the audience is. Know who's right to say no to and who's right to say yes to. Right. So don't come off like, hey, I can solve all your problems. You go like when you're a financial planner. And somebody maybe asks you about a will or a trust, you're not going to be the attorney. You're going to say, I know enough about it. But the reality is for you to get your your trust done, you need to go see Joe down the street who's really good. That's what he does is estate tax planning, right? Um, I think it's important to realize your limitations and what your specialty is. And, And then you say myth number four is it takes years to build up credibility and authority. Well, that's a myth. Because it doesn't take years to do that. Um, I think people look to physicians to say, well, a physician spent you know, four years in regular college and then another four years to get his degree, so he must know everything there is to know. And I know I'm finding that true about many physicians. They're advising you, ill-advising you about things that when you look at the pool of physicians you could go to to talk about it, you're going to get a different opinion from five different people about how to solve a health problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let's look at, let's use that as an example. 
let's say that your doctor is 68 years old and went to medical school in the 70s and he's about to retire, right? And he does this continuing ads, but he 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 he's competing with the person who just graduated five years ago, and he's on the cutting edge of um, uh, rejuvenation, like youthful rejuvenation. Who do you want to go talk to? The younger guy. Yeah, he hasn't been doing it for long enough. He wasn't even born yet when this guy graduated from medical school. But on this particular thing, he is cutting edge. I think I should go to him. Right. It's no, a great example. A second opinion. Well, what do you think? I, I mean, I know we talked about this a little bit before coming on the air, but, um, you know, you did address AI a bit, you know, yeah. and we realize that AI is going to revolutionize what we think we know about what some computer is computing that could help mm-hmm. us know more. So that same 68 year old physician, if he went into, you know, chat cbt and type the question about an ailment or something it's going to give him some response right and hopefully it's giving him a response with this culmination of data because if people really realize how it works it's not going out and combing all the net it's really actually kind of thinking on its own about what's in there right yep right yeah that's great so i mean it could it could Think about this. This could revolutionize the way in which people see experts. Yes? Yep. So here's the thing. Here's what I know. If we were to combine number three and number four together, I would make this statement. You're probably going to be the most available and trusted expert that your audience has access to. Does that make sense? So yeah. can I call the guy who Sam um, Altman, who runs OpenAI? No. Right. But I can have access to people on YouTube who know enough about it. And I can be several steps away from him. I don't need to talk to the CEO. But those folks on YouTube or who's created a chat GPT course, they're the closest I'm going to get to an expert. That's who we are. Right. right? We just need to be a resource that our audience trust. Yeah. We don't have to. And when we don't know something, just say, I don't know it. You want to build trust with somebody, admit what you don't know. Yeah. And I would say too, you know, because the AI is not perfect yet, far from it. Um, it's gathering data. I'll give you a perfect example about you, even you, Ron Story Jr. If you go into AI and say, hey, write 10 questions for Ron Story about his book, 100 miles, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can do this. None of the questions really that the AI came up with are pertinent to what we're talking about right here, right now. So the the reality is, is that it isn't perfect yet. It's going to continue to get better. The more data that's fed into it, the more questions it's asked, it'll become ready. Um, You said myth number five, and then we'll finish with the myths, is I'm not Mm -hmm. ready to be seen as an authority. Um, and I think, again, that's programming in people's part. That is a fear associated with they've got to know everything. We used to have saying, because I was in the financial services business, just like you, and I spent many years there. We There was a gentleman in the office, and you'll get this. They would say uh, it, it, he would 
he would ask him a question and he would go on and on and on and on and on about annuities or pension plans or whatever it was, whatever it was. And, and I would say to him, hey, Don, his name was Don. I only asked you what time it was. I didn't ask you how you made the watch, right? <laughs> right? Because they think they got to know everything about everything. You don't. Because when someone asks you a question, really listen to the question carefully. They don't want to know how you made the watch. They just want to know what time it is. They ask you what time it was, right? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of times, let, let's think of it this way, right? Before the internet, our communities were very small. So in the office that you mentioned, there was a go-to guy in the office for annuities. There was a go-to guy in the office for mutual funds. There was a go-to guy in the office for how to close the deal or how to work with corporate clients or whatever. So our communities were small, right? And then as the internet came out, our communities got bigger and bigger and bigger. So everybody was started to see, well, I need to know everything. And, you know, and I'm just not ready yet. So this insecurity came as if we had access to everybody. We don't. Everybody doesn't know who I am. But for those who know who I am, they know what I'm good at. Right. So let me give you an example. Even if you're not, even if you don't feel like you're ready to be an authority, you already are to somebody. Right. So if they're going to, put you in a box anyway, you may as well tell them which box to put you in, right? So when I was in St. Louis and I first got it, I first got involved with software, everybody in, in the software world, they know how to code. So I wanted to set myself apart from them. I said, dude, I can't code, but you don't know how to sell. So I became known as the sales guy around the software community in St. Louis because I never wanted to be the coder guy. I wanted to be known as the guy that could help with sales. So I began to build clients and things around that because they were going to call me something. I didn't want them to call me the stupid coder because <laughs> I was the right. worst person at building code. I would rather them call me the best salesperson. Right. right? So you're going to be put in a box. At least tell them which box to put you in. So you, you talk about in the book in your fourth chapter, uh, everything you say is bullshit. You talk about the Diddy yep. and the Kardashians and Dr. Phil and Oz. But you say the key to authority position is third-party validation. So many yep. people rely on that. They're like, hey, well, it was endorsed by Kim Kardashian, or it was endorsed by Dr. Phil, or it was endorsed by Dr. Oz. Um, most people don't care what you know until they know what other people care about your knowing it, right? Yep. Speak with that, if you would, because I think for a lot of people, there's a trepidation there thinking that, you know, I've got to have that to make it. Well, so here's the there's two sides of it, right? I think it's like we can think of Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil. We know him because of Oprah Winfrey. Right. He was actually like um, a court witness, an expert witness in her beef case 20 years ago. And. She realized he had such a great personality. She invited him on the show when he, she realized that he was really a psychologist. Right. Right. But that endorsement got exposure that he needed. Right. But somebody that the world trusted referred that person to their audience, which is what you're doing with me right now. You're right. introducing me to your audience. Right. Now, imagine if I got on here and I was just an idiot. 
And I was just lying and I was making up things. And you're like, dude, like, what are you doing? First off, this episode probably wouldn't come out. Right. It wouldn't dare. (laughs) Yeah. And the same thing with Oprah, right? Because her audience trusts that as Oprah, you're going to bring people that are credible in front of us. Right. right? So you can have all the endorsements, but if you don't have the goods, that could be the worst thing that ever happened to you. There's a guy out there right now called the um, Liver King, right? Liver? And he talks liver, like the liver. L-I-V-E-R, your liver. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about eating raw animal parts and all of this stuff and how he follows these. And he's on everything. I mean, he's he was on everybody's podcast. And then it got exposed that he was doing steroids and he wasn't eating any of that stuff. Totally has killed his business now. Well, you know, you... Ron, I've been in, through this pandemic like everybody else, and I got approached. I had to choose who I was going to put on the podcast because of the range of information that we 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 obviously know disinformation is everywhere. You can get information, but can you rely on it? Is it credible? Uh, is the personal knowledgeable? And on one far side of it would you know would be just these extremists that would say, Hey, you know, you're not going to wear a mask. You don't need to get, uh, you don't need to have a vaccine. You don't, you know, and all you need to do is this, this, and this, and this, and you're going to be thoroughly protected. And I got caught in the middle a couple of times. I'll have to tell you, because it was like, well, um, you know, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. was one of those, right? Uh, <laughs> and then on the other side, you're thinking, well, he's a big authority. He was the president's, you know, uh, son, right? Uh, and you're like thinking to yourself, geez, Louise, where do these extremist views come from? And I won't go down this path much, but what I will say is, as somebody who's out there in your um, DB cast is a way to get on podcasts. Um, you have to be discerning, don't you? Yeah, you you definitely have to be. And and the the reason being is if we let's look at crypto, right? There's this another one Sam that goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everybody, Tom Brady, Steph Curry, all of these people were endorsing FTX and Sam Bankman Freed, right? Yeah, Madonna they, got sued. Yeah, exactly. A lot of them are still getting sued. A lot of YouTubers are getting sued for mm-hmm. pushing this platform. Right. So he had the third party credibility, but he didn't have the ethics or right. the other real part of it. So third party credibility can be a great thing that can propel those that have the goods into greatness, yeah. but it also can destroy the trust with the marketplace and with everyone else. Like yeah. n- nobody would ever endorse anything that that guy ever did again. Right. Agreed. So I think that it's very important to have ethics. And but then it's also important to podcasters like you, like you're doing, is hey, do some background checks and some vetting before you embarrass yourself and destroy your platform with the referral. Well, the good thing about you is um I don't I think you guys reached out to us, which is what yeah. you do, because this is a great segue to this because it's an opportunity for you to talk about um your pitch DB, um, you know, you've come up with this software behind this engine. There's an engine running this and it's a huge database and you basically sell the database for a subscription 
to people who want to get out there and influence audiences. <clears throat> so speak a little bit about how it works, why it would help authors, why it would help insurance people, why it would help almost anybody. Because really, when you look at it, <laughs> I don't know what the number of podcasts are right now. What are we? <laughs> are we in excess of you know, a couple million shows at this point. I don't have any idea, but there's a lot of podcasts out there. But there's also, pardon me, friends, there's a lot of shit out there as well. Um, so you got to have a way to like screen through it, determine where you want to be, get focused. And your DB software does that. So tell the listeners a little bit about that, why they might want to consider it. Yeah. So if you have a perspective to share, the next thing you need is a platform. Right. So if you don't have an audience of your own or you're not going to buy a Super Bowl commercial or you don't host a syndicated radio show, you need a platform to share that message with. Right. So one of the things that I saw was that podcasting was growing at a rate that was faster than anything else out there. It was growing during the pandemic. It was faster than YouTube channels and everything. But yeah, but the there's host, also realized there's very low barrier to entry now. Yep, exactly. When I first started this 16 years ago, I would there was a barrier to entry. But everything's become and I'm only making this commentary because I'm not against it. I'm not for it. I'm neutral. I'm just saying that there's a massive number of people in this business, podcasting business, as a result of it becoming um it, 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 no barrier to entry. Yeah, yeah, you got a microphone, like, you got a camera, you got Zoom. Uh, you want to reach out to people, you can be a podcaster. 100%. It's the same way that YouTube made television accessible to everybody. If you have a cell phone, you can create a YouTube channel and you, ha you can compete with ABC, CBS. Mr. Beast has 100, almost 200 million subscribers to his YouTube channel, right? Every video he puts out gets 100 million views within the first week. Right. So if you, all you need is a phone and you can compete, but there's another side of it. Right. So the same way that um, YouTube, its algorithm doesn't promote every channel. So every YouTube video doesn't have 18 million views. Right. The cream rises to the top naturally. Right. So experienced podcasters are going to be a bit more discerning on who they let on their show. Right. Versus the podcaster at the bottom who's just trying to save some time because he don't want to spend the three hours doing the research and reading a person's book and hopping on for an hour pre-interview to make sure that they have the goods. Those are low barrier to entry shows, but they probably have poor audiences also. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So as you get better, and this is the way I think about it, as a person starts out, I think they should go on every show that they can just to get the feel of how it feels to be on a podcast. And mm -hmm. then you start to work your way up into better shows over time. Me, myself, I do three podcasts a week. So over time, I've gotten a lot better. If you listen to my first podcast in 2014, I was terrible, right? I may still be terrible in some people's eyes today, but what I'm trying to do is to constantly get better with more exposure and more practice. So that's what PitchDB allows anyone who has a perspective to hop on and search our 3.1 million podcasts, 150,000 local associations for speaking gigs, 
and about 39,000 media outlet contacts. Well, what can, what can they expect, Ron, if they subscribe that says the plan is free, but very limited DB pitch passive. Um, So click here for pitch DB passive or pitch here for, or click here for proactive. Explain the, the two. And if you would kind of explain, you know, what does this subscription cost if somebody really wants to get in here and start playing inside of this uh, database that you've developed? 100%, right? So if someone wants to start using PitchDB, they can sign up for free and look inside and see what we do. And we give you some free pitches so that you can reach out to podcasters, media outlets, or speaking gigs. Cost you nothing, right? The limitation comes on the number of people that you can reach out to, right? Mm-hmm. But you can see everything. You can use all the features that are inside to understand what we're trying to accomplish. So we call that pitch DB passive. Why? Because you can create a profile and wait on podcasters to reach out to you if you don't want to do the outreach on your own, right? But what we do know based on our data is that most people are booked by being proactive. Greg Voison wasn't looking for me, right? That is correct. I had to go through and I had to find the podcast I thought would be a great fit for. And then we reached out to you saying, hey, are you looking for interesting guests? We had a conversation. I'm here today, right? So that's the difference. Passive, a passive account is where you're waiting on podcasters to look for you, where you enter your information into the database. A proactive account is where you're saying, I'm not going to wait on him. I'm going to go and tell him how great I am. And And what's the difference in pricing for those, Ron, subscription wise? So let's say they want to go in and they want to be proactive. They want to search the database and then they're going to search out 28 podcasts that they'd like to go, uh, you know, send a pitch to. And the email gets generated, I'm sure, through your service, right? Uh, And then it shows up as, what does that show up as? Is it coming through a PR agency? Is it just coming from them? What does it look like? So the email comes directly from your account. You will connect your account to our database, right? And then when you send an email from inside of the database, after you've created your list, it goes out directly from you. We're just the invisible machine that's running it, right? We don't put sent from an iPhone at the bottom or sent from PitchDB. We don't do any of that. We want you to be able to be as professional as possible when you do your outreach, right? So So for all of my authors that come on this show, let me just use this as an example because we we have people that write books. Uh, We got lots of them, right? So here's, here's one. Dancing with disruption, you know, a new approach to navigating a person like Linda, I'm just going to use this as an example, could subscribe to your service and literally proactively start to send a campaign that would go out to podcast hosts who would be looking for people in the genre of business. You know, in other words, we want to narrow it down. We don't want to just get any Tom, Dick, or Harry uh, as a podcast host to be on. I've got some. Um, is that a good example of how it can be used? And then also for, let's just take the financial services industry. Same situation. There's lots of, everybody would love to probably be on, um, you know, let's just say Tim Ferriss, right? But he does a lot of podcasts on health and you know, nutrition and wellness. And he gets on all these places because he's Tim Ferriss, right? Four day work week guy. 
But the reality of them going to Tim Ferriss and actually getting on the show is pretty unrealistic, to be honest with you. But it probably isn't going to happen. If they want to go to Joe Rogan, it probably isn't going to happen, right? Exactly. So to try to get on Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan, that's the equivalent of just sending a cold email to Good Morning America. These yeah. are the top of the top podcasters, right? But yeah. most people don't need to be in front of a hundred million people to be effective, right? So if you can get on a podcast that has a thousand downloads, that's equivalent to being referred to a thousand people or giving a speech in front of an audience of a thousand people. If you can't be effective there, you're probably going to blow your opportunity because that being on Joe Rogan is once being on Tim Ferriss is probably going to be once, right? right? You're not going to be on there every week. So you don't want to blow that opportunity. But what you can do is find, um, I I like to say it this way. In the past, the world was controlled by megaphones. NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC, big news channels that had large audiences. Today, the world is controlled by microphones. Mm -hmm. I can go into a little sliver of the market that only wants to talk about what I'm good at and be the best for them and talk in detail, use their jargon talk exactly for them. So that disruption book that you just held out, that person can go in and type in disruption in the business category. And it'll take the 3 million podcasts and give him probably 100 podcasts that talk about disruptive, innovative business ideas. Those are the 100 he should go on. Well, I I think you provide a valuable service. And there's a lot of people that don't know about, obviously, Pitch DB. Um, and it, it is a broad breadth way that it could be used if people are looking to expose themselves to audiences and the, it's very, uh, minimal cost in comparison to if you hired, I'll just use an example. We have people that come to us that are pitched by PR firms where they're paying these PR firms. And I could mention many names. Anywhere from eight to ten thousand dollars a month, right? Yeah. When they're trying to get their book all the way in the stratosphere with Amazon or whatever, which I think, I'm, my personal opinion, is kind of a ridiculous concept. Um, but but the reality is, is that you know you think about it, and the minimum contract is for four months. So you're talking about thirty-two thousand to forty thousand dollars that you're going to pay a firm. To do, I'm not saying it's doing the same thing that Pitch DB is, because there's one element that's missing, and that's the you inside the DB. Mm-hmm. You have to be proactive to make this software work. Okay. Yep. Um, the reason that the PR companies get paid is because they have relationships with people like me. And they literally, when they pitch me, they go, Hey, I got another new book. Do you want to? Put this guy on your show. He's a world famous, whatever, whatever he is. And a lot of times I read that and I go, yeah, this is a great, it fits our lane, right? And many times I say, no, I'm passing. I'm not going to do it, right? The key there is the proactivity of the person behind the software to take the action to make the pitches. Would you say that's true or not? Yes. As an author, I think the one thing that most authors miss is that once you write a book, your book is a product. 
if you're if you wrote the book alone and it's your main product, you're the salesperson of that product. Right. So the sales activity of an author is getting it on shelves or getting it in the ears of potential customers. And so in order to get the platform to get it into the minds of your audience, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to deal with some of that rejection because everybody's not going to love you. So let's say, for instance, you bought the ninety seven dollar a month pitch DB plan. You could reach out to 100 podcasters or 100 local associations and go give live lunch and learns in your local area, like we talk about, right? You can go and dominate your local market using PitchDB. And then you'll probably make back that $97, right? But you'll reach out to 100. If it's podcast, you'll probably be booked on 10 to 15 shows. If the average podcast has 600 downloads, 7,000 people found out about you via referral. And and Ron, what you're doing is, in, in, in one essence, it is very disruptive because these lists that you've accumulated, the, while they've been out there on Google, you had to do a lot of work to pull it all together. Right. I mean, the the eighty seven dollars or ninety seven they're paying you is far less than the cost it would be to hire some third person over in the Philippines to do all the research and bring back the data and build a database and then put it on HubSpot and send out the emails and whatever. Ron does this for you. Turn key. So for all of my listeners, no matter what your business is, you really should take a look at this because this is my uh, way of showing you an opportunity that's available. Have I used it? I have not. But the reality is, do I know it works? Ron's living proof. He got on the show as a result of using his own software. Um, so, so there you go. Does it mean that I'm not going to use it? No. I think when I hang up here with Ron, I'm going to have a conversation about how this could be used. So for all of you who are listening, and you're still listening. Thank you. Uh, Ron, how would you like to kind of pull this all together between uh, your book, the first hundred miles that you're going to give away? And we'll put a link to that where people can just download the, the PDF of this book. And then secondly, how this kind of all relates to building influence and be, you know becoming more of an influencer and wiping away the last part of this those five myths that we believe about ourselves. Yep. So the one thing that I know about life is if you do something for long enough, you can't help to be, you can't help but to get better at it. Right. So I started playing golf years ago. I keep playing. I get a little better every time I go out. Right. So when you first start off trying to build authority, you're going to feel nervous. Right. But just keep fighting through that nervousness because you're just nervous because it's unknown. But as you get on more podcasts, you do more speaking gigs, you start promoting your books more, you know, doing, you know, in-person signings at Barnes and Nobles, whatever you're doing, you'll get better at it. So that's what we're trying to promote with the first hundred miles. Start locally where people appreciate you a little bit more. Go on more podcasts where you can do it from the comfort of your own home instead of from a stranger's stage. So if you go to pitchdb.com slash book, you can get a copy of the book, The First 100 Miles, or I'm going to make a special deal for you. If you go to pitchdb.com slash Greg, right, 
I'm going to give you an opportunity to pay once for PitchDB and you will get access to it for life. We will give you new pitches every month for one low time payment. Okay. Right? One, one low one time payment. So you don't have to pay monthly. If you go to pitchdb.com slash Greg, I will give you an opportunity to buy a lifetime account that will get you on a minimum of two podcasts a month. Beautiful. I think that's fair. I think it's totally fair. And for all my listeners, we'll put the link up to that so that you can get there and get his lifetime access to PitchDB. Um, a question for you, because some of the people out there may be interested in knowing uh, your your focus is podcasts. Uh, is there any other media focus in the database? Like you were just saying, these are mics, but NBC, CBS, ABC, news shows, is are there datas in there with contact or is that still the CISN route? Because that's usually where people go to get information when they want to pitch the morning show producer of the local, let's say, call it Medellin or St. Louis. And so there's a little local morning show that's done on that called Good Morning St. Louis. And they want to get this, the producer. Does this include any of those kind of contacts or not? 100% it does. It does. Right? Okay. So PitchDB is a, is for any platform where you want to go talk, whether okay. that's a, a podcast, a live speaking gig, local associations, magazines, radio stations, television stations, TED Talks, blogs. We have over 3 million contacts. In the database with the okay. editors, with the CEOs, with the event planners, right? If you want, and to are they broken down? Like when you buy this run, just and then I want to, I don't want to belabor this because people just go and download it for free and try it out. But is it is it broken down by like say, hey, I want to get an email and a phone number, and I want to send them a book, and do I have an address, and can I rely on this database staying up to date? There's a lot of questions people would ask maybe on the other end of this. Uh, tell us about that real quick. Yep. So the podcast database is updated live. So the podcast, every podcast that was published today is in there today. Okay. Right. So the podcast database is live. The speaking database and the organization database is updated regularly because speaking gigs come and go. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're always putting new speaking gigs into the system. We actually have a speaking gig update scheduled for this week. But the the local associations, those you get the phone number, you get the local address. You can sort by city, state, zip code. We give you the phone numbers, email addresses, everything that we have. Is there, is there meeting event planners in there as well? Or yep. no? Oh, there is. Yep. Okay. So yep. look, everybody who's out there in Wonderland. You wrote a book, you wrote a white paper, you're a financial planner, you're, you're anybody in the market that's trying to reach a bigger audience and you're trying to influence, and you want to drill this down to a certain zip code. The way I'm hearing it is like, I can put in five zip codes, I'm going to drill it down and I'm going to find people in that zip code, especially if I'm looking to speak in St. Louis or I'm looking to speak in San Diego. So this is a great opportunity. He's going to give you a lifetime offer for this, Ron. Thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing 
not only your invention here, which is this database, um, but also a little bit about the 100 miles, how you would actually go and, and become a local expert before you become a national expert. We actually tell all of our authors, look, go local before you go national. Um, and that th there's truth to that because, you know, when you look at the rings and spheres of influence, say, come down here, it's a smaller audience. When you get out here, it's millions and millions and millions of people. But down here, it may only be 10,000 people, right? So mm -hmm. you're the guy. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for joining us and spending time. I appreciate it. I learned a lot from you. And it's always a pleasure having somebody like you on who is allowing people to kind of understand how to expand their platform. I think that's the most important thing. A voice unheard is probably the world's greatest resource. I think your audience has a great voice. It needs to get out there. They need to share their, their voice with more people. Well, I appreciate you and I appreciate what you've done to pull all of this together and the back end and all the people helping you to put this together. So thank you for Pitch TV and thank you, Ron, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.